Commitment helps us endure the inevitable ups and downs of relationships, but the development of our relationship skills allows us to really enjoy our relationships. Today, we'll be looking at the skill of communication. This message is the seventh in the series, Relate. The message is entitled, Communicate Clearly, Part Two. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and your teaching sheets as we get ready to study God's Word this morning. I want us to take a moment to welcome all those from our Frederick campus that are joining us live this morning. So all you folks in Frederick, we give you a good greeting and welcome today and joining together both of our campuses this morning. Uh, just a quick reminder before we get into the study of God's Word today, uh, it was mentioned a moment ago on our video for this weekend, our up-and-coming uh, Holy Land tour in November. Uh, let me just highlight it for a moment. If you've never been to Israel, if you've never gone to the Holy Land, it's an absolutely life-changing event. And I would really recommend, if at all possible, that sometime in your spiritual journey, if not this year, at some point in time, making a plan to visit Israel with us. Uh, what happens is we go, and for about 10 days, we go to all the major sites around Israel, uh, many of them, uh, all of them, actually, that have biblical significance. I will do a teaching at all the major sites. It's interesting to actually be in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed to open your Bible and read the story of Jesus praying there in the Garden of Gethsemane, to sit on the Mount of Olives and look across the Kidron Valley into Jerusalem, and to actually go up into the Galilee area and take a trip, actually, and get on a boat and go to the middle of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus walked on the water and the Mount of Beatitudes. Absolutely incredible event. And it will change your perspective of the Bible. So if at all possible, let me encourage you to take a look at the trip in November. Uh, all the information is on our website, church-redeemer.org, and just click on the Holy Land Tour, and all that information is there for you in terms of the cost and when the trip happens and the itinerary of the trip, etc. We would love to have you consider being a part of it. We're involved in a series of messages. We're talking about the relationships of our life, and I want to talk today. We're actually in a 10-part series, and this is actually the, fifth, the seventh part of a 10-part series, a continuation of our study last week on the topic of communication. I want to continue to help us to understand what communication is all about from a biblical perspective. Now, as we've talked about in this series, God is a very, uh, is a very relational God. In fact, the Bible is a relationship book. All the way through the pages of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, we find that God teaches us about how to relate to Him and how He relates to us and how we are to relate to one another. There was a time that Jesus was asked the question, what is the most important commandment of all the commandments that have been given by God? What is the most important commandment of all? And Jesus said, here it is. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is, love God, get into right relationship with God, and love Him and let Him love you in return, and then learn how to love one another. It's all about relationships. And I will assure you that the closer you get to the end of your life, when you get to the end of your life, what will have mattered most is not all the stuff that you've accomplished or the things that you've acquired, but what will matter most are the relationships of your life, how strong those relationships have been, certainly and foremost, your relationship with God, but also with one another. For that to happen, you have to learn how to communicate. You cannot grow your relationship with God without communicating with Him. You cannot grow your relationship with God without learning how He communicates to you. And you and I can't grow our relationships one with another without learning how to communicate as well. 
Last weekend we talked uh, about the importance of understanding that we as human beings are always communicating. We're a message machine. We're always giving out messages by the words we speak and the nonverbals, the tone of our voice, all that kind of stuff. We're communicating. Anytime you're around a person, you're sending them a message. We talked about how we have to try to decipher and understand and decode the messages that people send us, and we don't always get it right. Sometimes we misunderstand people. We don't understand what they're saying, and we we make wrong assumptions about their communication, and so communication gets all fouled up and messed up, and we have to learn to be better listeners. So we spent quite a bit of time last weekend talking about the value of listening, the practices of listening, as the Apostle James reminded us in James chapter 1 that we're to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Now today I'm going to turn the attention from the concept of listening. I want to talk today actually about another aspect of communication. I want to talk to you actually about your words. The words that you speak. I'm going to talk to you about something that every person here has and you must learn to control and that is your mouth. Has your mouth ever gotten you into trouble? Of course it has, and all of us have that little thing in our mouth called our tongue, and sometimes it wags way too much. And it gets us into all kind of trouble, and we have to learn some things about how do we speak words, and how do we handle the words of our mouth, and how do we manage our mouth in a way that makes a positive difference in the lives of people. And so I want to talk to us about this, and in the book of James chapter 3, the Apostle James continues a theme that he has throughout the book in helping us to understand our communication one with another, and he talks to us about the words of our mouth. James chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1, let me read this for you. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. What does that mean? It means that people who teach God's Word are held to a higher standard. One of the things that actually sobers me as I read that verse is to realize that when I stand before God, I'm going to be judged more severely than you will be. I will actually be in a different line, if you will, of judgment than you will be. Why? Because I've taught God's Word, and so God is going to hold me me to a higher standard than He will hold you. It's a very sobering thought. He will ask me the question, and He will judge my life on the fact, did I practice what I preached? Did I live what I shared with others? And so it's a very important distinction. That's why your words have impact. If you, the more you speak, the more judgment you come under in terms of God, in terms of your areas of responsibility and accountability. Verse number two, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. We put, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are, they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of, of the body. It corrupts the whole person and sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. Would you circle, highlight, star, some way draw your attention to that phrase? No man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been, been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. 
Can both fresh water and salt water come flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The one phrase I want you to draw from this passage, such a lot of information there and understanding for us, but please notice that phrase again, no man can tame the tongue. Say it with me, no man can tame the tongue. I'll come back to that in a moment. I'm going to ask you to read together with me Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. Let's read it aloud and loudly, and all the folks in Frederick, if you'll read with me as well, let's all read. Here we go. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15, 4, again together. Kind words heal and help, cutting words wound and maim. Here in this, these passages that we've just read, the Bible calls our words like, to the, the analogy, they're like fire, they're like a sword, they're like things that have the capacity to cut and wound and maim. And I'm sure that all of us here could de describe times in our lives when someone said something to us and it burned us. It was like a fire that came against us. Maybe it burned you in this way. Someone said something and, and you weren't feeling angry, but after they said it, you felt fire rising inside. You felt the passion of anger rising in your heart based upon what someone said. Or maybe they burned you in the sense of something hurting very, de very deeply and creating this, this burning on the inside of you, a, a damage to your soul. Or maybe it was like a sword that came into your heart and just began to cut away by the words they were speaking and left you maimed and damaged. There's some of us here today that we've been perhaps even damaged in a significant way with our lives and not able to be all that we perhaps could have been because of someone's words that were spoken to us at an early time in life. Maybe a parent or some other significant person said something to us that damaged us. Oh, you're never going to make it. You never will amount to much of anything or you're not really that smart or you're not really that pretty or whatever it might be, the words that came in and they found a place deep into our soul and they've been affecting us all these years. The Bible says that words have the capacity to burn and to maim and to wound and to destroy people's lives. And I believe there's some of you here today that that's exactly where you are. You're hurting today under the curse, if you will, of a word that was spoken to you at some point in time in your life that has damaged you to some degree. Now, there's hope for that, and there's healing for that through Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing to know that you don't have to live under that curse forever. Jesus came to free you from that curse. But you have to recognize it before you can experience freedom from it. But let's flip the coin just for a moment. Not only have we been, if you will, the victims of words coming our way that have damaged us, but we have also been the propagator. We've been the communicator of words to others that have hurt them. Think about the last time you spoke something to someone that perhaps burned them on the inside or perhaps was like a sword that cut something away. Either intentionally or unintentionally, you wounded them either for a short period of time or maybe even a more significant way. Again, you may not have been thinking about it or intentional in it, but nevertheless, your words hurt or damage someone else. We are victims and we are victimizers of others when it comes to the words of our mouth. And the Apostle James in his declaration in James chapter 3 tells us that something needs to happen. He says, no man can tame the tongue. Now understand, he said, no man can tame the tongue, but also realize that if no man can do it, God still can. 
Because what is impossible with man is possible with God. And I want you to know today that if your tongue has, has, is, is a damaging force in your life, which it is for most of us at some point in time, God wants to tame your tongue. God wants to step into your world by the power of the Holy Spirit and tame your tongue. In fact, when you become filled with and live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, it changes the way you speak. It changes the words of your mouth. Let's talk about this word tame for a moment. The actual original term that's used in the Greek New Testament means this. It means to reduce to quietness. It means to restrain within proper limits, to subdue, to not allow to do what it wants to do. That is, when you tame something, you actually put it within boundaries. You begin to say, you will and will not go here. You will and will not do this. These are the boundaries. This is the fence that you will stay within. And so when the Bible talks to us about taming our tongue, it's talking to us about putting it into some boundaries. It's talking about learning to, and here's your first point today, to train your tongue. You have to learn to train it. Because the only way something gets tamed is by training. You don't tame something unless you train it to be tamed. And training is a process. Training doesn't happen overnight. It is a process of of success and failure. It's a process of learning, gaining understanding and wisdom. But there's a training process that is involved when it comes to our mouth, our tongue, that God calls us to. Now, this training process has an objective. Any training process always has an objective. For example, let's talk about professional sports for a moment. A professional golfer trains differently than a professional basketball player. Why? Because the goal is different. The objective is different. A professional basketball player trains differently than a professional football player will. Why? Because, again, the goal is different. Let's go to the academic realm. If you're training to be a medical doctor, your training will be different than if you're trained, uh, being trained to become, for example, a, an accountant or whatever it might be. So the training programs are always designed based upon an objective. What are you trying to become? What are you trying to do? What is the objective you're pursuing? And that's where I want to bring you to the heart of my message today, this whole idea of training your tongue is for an objective and the objective and here's point number two and the second major point for us today and final point for us today is that God wants to train you to speak a certain way he wants to train you that you will always speak life he wants to train your tongue so that your tongue is always speaking what always speaking life There are way too many words of death in our world. In fact, if you look just at the the headlines day in and day out, you watch the news, you find that so much of what we hear, what is communicated to us is negative, it is draining our lives, it is discouraging, it has obviously negative impacts upon our culture so often. There's very little good news that's being disseminated in our world today. And so God wants to raise up a group of people who will be good news people, people who are speaking life into a world, a culture that desperately needs to have life imparted to them. And God's call to you and me is He wants you and I to be a voice of life in this world. He wants to use your voice to speak life into your marriage. He wants to use your voice to speak life into your children. He wants to use your voice to speak life into the people that you work with, the neighborhood that you live in, the people you interact with. God says, I have called you to be a life-speaking force, to begin to declare words that bring strength to others, that bless them, that bring help 
restoration to their lives. Let's take a look again at some scriptures that emphasize this whole idea of speaking life. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 6. Read it together with me. The words of the wicked kill. The speech of the upright, what does it do? Saves. That when you speak life, you actually bring about salvation. I'm not talking about eternal salvation. I'm talking about the kind of thing that brings people points of deliverance. It helps them be set free from harm or danger or pain in their life. Proverbs 15, verse 1. Read this one with me. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So life-giving words are words that turn away what? Wrath. That is, when you step into a situation that there's a lot of anger and wrath and rage going on, God wants to make you the kind of person that when you step in, that you bring things down a level rather than escalating them. That He uses you to be a peacemaker, to speak words that will diffuse things that might be about to explode. That you step into a world that's filled with a sense of potential explosion around you and you bring peace by the words that you speak. I remind people from time to time on our staff and people that I had the opportunity of talking to at, at this kind of level that, that all, in every circumstance that we're in that we have an opportunity of communicating folks to folks uh, with, we always carry two buckets with us. We carry a bucket of water and a bucket of gasoline. And when you step into any environment, especially that is raging with maybe anger or all kind of passionate emotions, you have two buckets. You can choose to throw in the gasoline and add fuel to the fire and become a part of the problem, or you can use your, your, your fireman's tool and throw in the water and bring things down a level that is to help bring about peace. And God says the right kind of answer does what? It will turn away wrath. That is life-giving words. The next passage here in Proverbs 18, verse 21. Read with me. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Proverbs 18, 21, the message. Words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. That is, you make a choice in terms of how you will use your words. Uh, God's Word translation of the same passage says it this way. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love to talk will have to eat their own words. Anybody ever had to do that before, right? Listen as I read Ephesians 4, 29 and 30. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their, their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Notice this. The Apostle Paul says, Make sure that you don't let, you don't allow unwholesome words to come from your mouth. We talked a bit about that last week. What are unwholesome words? Words that corrupt, words that poison, words that decay another person. Don't let unwholesome words, but only words that are useful for building up. And then interestingly enough, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Can I talk to you about that just for a moment? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. It's extremely important to remember that when you and I are conversing with someone or a group of people, that whatever we say is not only heard by us and heard by them, but it's also heard by God. God not only sees everything that you do, God hears everything that you say. I want to I say that again. God not only sees everything that you do, God hears everything that you say. 
And many times when we have not been careful or thoughtful about the words of our mouth, we say things that deal death to people rather than life to people. And the Bible says that when we do that, when we speak unwholesome words, it grieves, it hurts the heart of the Spirit of God. It grieves God's heart. As I was thinking about this this week, and especially even as I was preaching about this last night, I was touched in my own heart to think about all the times that in my own life I perhaps have said and know that I've said things at times that I should never have said that not only hurt maybe another person, but also in the very same moment hurt the heart of God and grieved God's heart and hurt Him that I was using this tool that He gave me called my mouth for something that was tearing down rather than building up. And so what we speak to a person and what we say about a person has an impact not only upon that person, but upon our relationship with God. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by speaking unwholesome, unhelpful, corrupt words. Don't let, it, let these words come from your mouth. Notice, notice the New Century version of this now in Ephesians 4.29. When you talk, do not say harmful things, but say what people need, words that will help others become stronger than what you say will do good to those who listen to you. The Apostle Paul wrote a wonderful book called 1 Corinthians, and of course, the second follow-up book to that, 2 Corinthians, to the church at Corinth. And the first book that he wrote, the first letter that he wrote to them, again, inspired by the Spirit of God, he came to chapter 13, and he spent his entire focus in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 on one major theme. Does anyone remember what the theme of 1 Corinthians 13 is? Love, exactly right. So when you think of 1 Corinthians 13... What, do you th- what word again do you think of? It's called the love chapter, okay? It teaches us what the love of God, the agape of God is all about, God's love. What does it really look like? What are the characteristics of it? What are the nuances of it? How do you demonstrate it? What do you do and not do if you're going to show love to someone? So it's all right there in 1 Corinthians 13. But interestingly enough, when he finishes 1 Corinthians 13, it follows obviously with 1 Corinthians 14, And from the love chapter, he turns his attention toward words spoken in the church. Suddenly it moves from love to an amplification of that love to our words. Almost as though Paul is saying, by the way, now that I've talked to you about love, let me talk to you about the practical aspect of this love as it relates to the words you speak in the church. And he talks about things like prophecy and, 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 and speaking in tongues and words of knowledge and words of wisdom and all these kinds of things that relate to the atmosphere and the environment of the church and the words that are spoken on behalf of God in the church. Now, it's easy for us to say, well, maybe that doesn't really apply to me because we think of the church in just organizational terms rather than something that maybe we are a vital part of. But I want you to remember that the word church is a word that is not about a building or about an organization. The word church is about, say that word with me, people in relationship with God and one another. That's what the church is. The church is not a building. We're grateful for our building. We thank God for the building we have in Frederick and our building here in Gaithersburg as well. But the church isn't a building. The church is the, uh, the relationship that we have together with God and with one another. We've come together to say Jesus has given us a mission in our community and we're connected to one another to accomplish that mission. And in the, in the accomplishment of that mission, we're going to speak words to one another. And the church doesn't just happen when we come together, but the church happens when you go home, right? You have a little church at your house. 
I have the Dale and Terry church at our house, okay? And so we go back home, and that's our little church there in the sense of relationship with one another and our family, and you perhaps have the same. If you're single, you have relationships with others, maybe single parent. You have your little church area, if you will, people that you have responsibility for in relationship one with another because you're under the banner of Jesus Christ. And the Bible gives us instruction, Paul does here in chapter 14, of how we ought to speak to one another. In fact, if you will look with me together, and let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 3, and let's read it aloud and loudly. Here we go. But everyone, are we all together? But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. I'm going to ask you to circle four words in that verse. Would you circle the word prophesies and then circle the three words strengthening, encouragement, comfort. Those are the four together that we're going to look at. Prophesies, strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. The Bible says that everyone who prophesies, now for some of you, you say, well, what does that mean, prophesy? Well, to prophesy, let me just break it down to the basic meaning. Most of some of us perhaps have an idea that prophecy is when someone stands up and gives some message and says, thus saith the Lord, and gives some proclamation of what is or what's going to be, and that's a prophetic word, and certainly there's the application of that in the Bible. But prophecy is more than that. Prophecy is any time you speak on behalf of God to someone else. Anytime you become God's voice to somebody else, you're actually prophesying to them. And I tell you, I need God's voice in my life, don't you? I need a lot of people around me helping me know what God's up to in my life. How about you, amen? I need some voices of God in my life. And so we need to be that to one another. God wants you to be one of His voices in our world. Not the only voice, but one of His voices in our world. So everyone at some level has has the opportunity to, if you will, be a prophet of the Lord, to speak God's Word into our world, okay? Now, don't get all fancy on me and go buy you a bunch of of business cards that say, prophet so-and-so. No, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? If you do that, we have another name for it. It's called weird, okay? If you do stuff like that, it's weird, okay? But I'm saying just in your own walk with God that you realize I have an opportunity to be a voice of God to my wife, to be a blessing of God's voice to her, to my children, to the people I work with. And the same is true for you. God wants to use your voice. In fact, would you say with me today, God wants to use my voice. Say it together. God wants to use my voice. Come on, say it like you mean it. God wants to use my voice. That is true. God wants to use your voice. What other voice does he have in the world other than our voice? Now, the Bible says when God uses your voice, there's some characteristics of the word that will come through you. And he gives us three statements there. What are they? Strengthening. Encouragement, and what else? Comfort. God says, when I speak through you to someone else, here is the way that you need to filter that. You need to make sure that it fits one of these three categories. Make sure that when you speak on my behalf, that it is strengthening, that it is encouragement, and that it is comfort. God says, if I'm going to use your voice, it will have one of those effects upon a person's life. It will speak life into them. It will strengthen them. It will encourage them. It will comfort them. Now, why is that so valuable and what makes that so important? Because if you're not strengthening someone by your words, what are you doing? 
You're weakening them. If you're not encouraging someone by your words, what are you doing? You're discouraging them. And if you're not comforting someone by your words, what are you doing? You're aggravating them. You're affecting their life adversely. And so God says, make sure that when you speak as my voice in your world, that these are the objectives that you seek to accomplish, strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. So what I wanted to do this weekend is to share with you a very practical way that you and I can become people who speak life into others, and we strengthen, encourage, and comfort those that we have opportunity to speak into their world. And I'm going to give you, over the next few moments as we wrap up here today, I'm going to give you four words that represent the acronym LIFE that will help you to see how to do this. Very, very practical aspects of this today. So we're going to take the word LIFE. I'm going to give you four words that will help you to understand how to do this, okay? L stands for simply this, lift. Let your words always lift other people. To lift literally means this. It means to speak words that lift burdens from others, to speak words that lift their attitudes, that elevate their perspective, that bring to light things that help them go higher. That's the idea. Have you ever been around a person before that in your interaction with them that after you've communicated with them, you feel like you walk a little higher than you did before? You kind of stepped it up, right? You stepped it up a notch. Why? Because they brought you up. Something about the interaction with them didn't take you down. It brought you up. It lifted you higher. And so God wants your voice to be a voice that lifts people a little bit higher. That when you speak to your husband or you speak to your wife, you bring them to a little higher plane. When you speak to your children, you lift them up to a level that they get to do things that otherwise maybe they would not have been able to do. You're lifting people to other levels by your words, by your interaction. The second one, I, is to impart. Use your words to impart. The word impart, the concept of impart means this. It means to give something of value, to add value into a person's life. There are times in your conversations that you're going to have opportunity to add value, to give assistance to someone through maybe a word of advice or guidance or wisdom that you give them, instructions that you bring. If you're a parent, sometimes you have to impart to your children through correction and instruction, but the whole goal is to bless them, to help them to learn things that otherwise they would not learn. Again, you add value to people. The third word here is to free, that you use your words as words of freedom, that bring freedom to people. To be free means to actually free people from limitations, to free them from misunderstandings, to free them from a heartache, a mistruth, a wrong perception, to help them to come to this place of letting go of things that represent chains and bondage in their life. This last uh, Friday, my wife and I had the opportunity of uh, having a little time off, and so on Friday afternoon, we drove up to, uh, to Gettysburg, and I'm not sure if you've been to Gettysburg recently, but we'd heard they put a beautiful new uh, visitor center in. We'd not been there many, many years, and so we had just a few hours, so well, let's just drive up to Gettysburg and spend a little time together, and, and we did, and it was a beautiful experience. If you haven't been there for a while, I would encourage you to go and visit. And we took in the movie they had there in the visitor center. And as a part of the movie, there was this reenactment of Abraham Lincoln reading the Emancipation Proclamation. And I was so deeply moved as I heard the, the dramatic reading of Abraham Lincoln declaring that Emancipation Proclamation using words that declared freedom. And I thought, Lord, that's what I want to be in my life. I want to be a person who is always an emancipator. Amen? 
I want to make sure that when I speak into people's lives that I'm speaking something that frees them from something that maybe has held them back, a limitation, or frees them from a misunderstanding that perhaps they've had, or frees them from something that binds them up. And I want you to know that's, that's how Jesus works. When he came into the lives of people and when he comes into our lives, he comes and speaks words that liberate us, that set us free, and God wants to use you in that very same way as his voice in our world. And the last word here that I'll give you is the word encouragement, to encourage others. We talked about it a moment ago, but that's to actually put courage into people's lives, to help them to actually to be determined, confident, to do something that otherwise they would not be able to do, encourage people. And to help you to do this, what we've done is we've prepared a little gift for you this weekend. To the left-hand side of the aisle is a bag. If you'll reach down and grab that bag, and inside the bag, pull out a card it looks like this. If you would, just simply take one per person so we'll have enough for our next service as well. If we have any extra, they'll be available for you next week. Any extra ones will be available next week. If you'd like to grab some next week, those will be there for you. I'm going to give you a moment to get these, and we'll talk about how you're going to use these. Just pass it right down the aisles and... If there happens to be any aisles that do not have a bag, then you're, uh, just let the ushers know. They'll be glad to make sure and get some to you. We have them up in the balcony as well. Fantastic. And once it comes down to the right side of the aisle, you can simply sit it back on the floor again. When you're training, you need a checklist, don't you? If you've ever gone to a gym before and getting into training routine, usually they give you a little uh, clipboard with a group of exercises on it that you actually go through and check off doing the different exercises because it shows you what you need to be doing, gives you a little bit of a guidance. And so to help you have some guidance in the process of learning how to speak life to people, we prepare this little card that will help you to, to see how, you're, how, to, how you are to speak in relationships. Why don't we go through it again together? Let's just take it letter by letter. L stands for what? Lift. Let's read it. Life-giving words lift burdens from others, lift their attitudes, elevate their perspective, bring to light things that help them go higher. So you're going to lift people. I stands for impart. Life-giving words impart something of value or assistance, guidance, wisdom, advice, instruction, correction, to truly help and bless them. F stands for free. Life-giving words free others from a limitation, a misunderstanding, a heartache, a mistruth, a wrong perception. E stands for encourage. Life-giving words make someone more determined, hopeful, or confident. So here's what I hope you'll do with this. I hope you'll keep it close for the next several weeks, maybe in your pocket, your pocketbook, maybe on your desk at work. Uh, maybe at home, wherever it is that you feel like you most need it. And so when you get into a situation where there's a conversation, you need some guidance because your tongue needs to be trained, right? Correct? Because we're so used to speaking death, aren't we? That we have to train our tongues to speak life, okay? And so this is your little checklist. And so when you get into a conversation with someone and it's kind of going south, you say, oh, time out. And if it really gets hot before you can, you, you can you kind of adjust yourself, you just stop and say, read this. Okay? 
but it gives you a little moment to reflect before you just go into your standard operating procedure of how you've always communicated. It breaks up the pattern, and so I hope this will be helpful in your life. Use it. No tool is helpful unless you put it to use. This can help you to sort of get past some of the patterns, the bad habit patterns of communication. It'll help you to move forward. Think about it for a moment. If we spoke words that lifted, imparted, freed, and encouraged, and our marriages and families and relationships, would everything be better? My goodness, it would be a very, very different world that we lived in, wouldn't it? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for speaking to us by the Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, you'll take these, these truths that we've learned today and help them to be applied deeply to our hearts. Lord, I pray you'll help us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Scripture says that no man can tame the tongue, but we know that you can tame it, God, by the Spirit of God in us. And so I pray this morning that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit and change the way we speak. I pray that we would be known as life-giving communicators, that we would speak life into our marriages, we would speak life into our families, our children, we would speak life on the job, we would speak life in our neighborhoods. God, that everywhere we go, we would be life-givers because that's what you are. You're the God of life. Take this truth and seal it in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I wanna lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus name if you just prayed that prayer with me friend I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ and to do so you need some help you need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day we'd like to provide for you in fact we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website church-redeemer.org that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ so again check out the website church-redeemer.org find those resources that'll help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus if you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.